strike forth from the gloom, soldiers, and march with pride. The winter sun guards our home, and in turn, we go to war. The barons await us, ready for conquest. We may bleed, we may fall, but we stand unbroken. Courage, loyalty, behold the eagle of Varushka. Yaromir Ostrovinkotska, General of the Northern Eagle. And I, dear listeners, am Ban Chatsong, former captain of the Bloody Hands Mercenary Company. Sat here thinking to myself, maybe I shouldn't have made a podcast about a character that was almost certainly going to die. But here we are with an extended intro that, frankly, in a year's time, no one will remember why. But anyway, I digress. Winds of War. This particular one, in the lonely hour. And no, I do not mean the lonely hour of 2am as I cry myself to sleep having drunk too much and not brought a blanket at Anvil. No, this is the lonely hour where we talk about the Druge once more, but this time in the Barrens. So let's begin with Rope and Chain. The Barrens is rotting. Too long subject to the corrupting touch of the Druge spring magic, is taking its toll. The trees teem with bloated vermin, the marshes buzz with rancid sickness, and every drop of water, every drop of rain, is infused with the taint of the rivers run red. Every wound festers, turning any injury into a potential death sentence. The Druze seem to like it that way. Since the Imperial armies carved the steel causeway through the heart of the barons, the territory has been quiet. The Druze here have been... almost too quiet. <laughs> they are surely here, hiding amongst the trees and behind the walls of the Spires of Dusk, a trap waiting to snap shut around the Empire's soldiers, should they return to continue their conquest of the barons. Yet the Empire didn't come. The Druze trap remained unsprung. Instead, the Imperial armies were busy closing the noose around the Druze in the south, in Zenith, trapping the Orc armies and turning the tables on the would-be tyrants of Urizen. As the Druze flee south, the Northern Orc forces strike. They are led by the Black Wind, an army made up of Orcs from the Western Barons who have a particular hatred for the people of Dawn. Perhaps banking on the fact the Empire will be occupied in the south, the Druze armies emerge from hiding and try to close the Steel Causeway to recapture Hope's Rest and the Carmine Fields. They pour out of the woods and the marshes, a teeming host of vicious warriors, easily enough to overwhelm the troops left behind to maintain the Imperial presence in the central barrens. Unopposed, they would quickly collapse the causeway and retake the lands the, em the Empire has conquered. Unopposed, they would easily return the barons to unquestioned Druge dominance. Unopposed, victory would be unquestionable. But the Druge have miscalculated once again. They are not unopposed. Half a dozen Imperial armies, 30,000 soldiers, and perhaps as many as 15,000 warriors, led by independent captains, 
support them. They are already moving to reinforce the causeway and bring more of the barons under their control. At the forefront of the Imperial advance, where they have been almost every time since the Empire has come to the barons, are the Griffin's pride. They lead the attack, pushing into the Druze-controlled regions and leaving their allies the task of shoring up the borders of the Steel Causeway. They are joined by knights and yo-folk of the Golden Sun, marching across the Northern Empire from Semesuak, empowered by potent autumn magic to make the crossing in time to fight alongside their fellow Dornish warriors. Once more, the Dornish also fight beside their Varushkan allies. The Northern Eagle and the Iron Helms follow the lead of the Griffin's Pride, carefully pressing the Druze defences and striking quickly when they can. But they avoid direct confrontation wherever possible. Slowly but surely, their tactics push the Druze back, expanding the boundaries of the Steel Causeway east and west. As well as Dawn and Varushka, the League and Highguard have also come to the Barons. The Valiant Pegasus crusades against the Druze, eager to see the successes of Zenith reenacted in the Barons, hoping perhaps to inspire the sets of subject orcs in some fashion. They will have their work cut out for them. The Wolves of War, by contrast, echo the tactics of the Varushkans, grinding forward carefully, consolidating their gains and readily supporting free companies recruited in Holberg, eager for another chance to strike against the Druze. A note here is that uh, the Steel Causeway is effectively the, um, the way the Empire was able to get into the Barons in the first place. Um, oh gosh, this is testing my Empire geography. It's not the Semilac, because that is in Semisuak. Uh, there was essentially a body of water we couldn't cross easily. A magical bridge opened and allowed an army to pour across. By an army, I mean a cluster of armies. Uh, the, the Dornish have wanted to retake the Barons for a long, long time. Uh, for any Navarre listeners, it's akin to Leafadan for them. It's a historical homeland and it's been taken by the Druze. So this is very much a we're coming for you kind of move. The fact that the Druze have not been able to just punch them off and retake it is a fantastic win. Furthermore, the fact that these Druze armies have actually met opposition, and uh, we'll see more about that later, um, is further reason to celebrate as we consolidate our grounds in the Barrens. It's a large area. There's lots of uh, subjected orc tribes there that, in theory, might turn, well, turn traitor to the Druze and actually join the Empire. It remains to be seen, but uh, that's what we're hoping for. But enough uh, exposition. Back to the Wolves and Brambles. The Imperial armies are supported by even stranger allies. Three days after the first troops set foot in the Barrens, Dozens of immense white wolves, larger than oxen, joined the fight against the Druze. Individually, they would have little impact, but they fight in disciplined packs. Their bone-chilling howls strike fear into the hearts of the Druze, but inspire Imperial soldiers that fight alongside them, especially those with Draugr blood. They are more than mere savage beasts. They speak with low, growling voices, explaining that they are servants of the Whelp Master, secured by pact to fight in the Barrens. 
Their interest lies more in keeping the Druze from overwhelming the Steel Causeway than in expanding its borders. But their presence leaves the Empire's armies free to take the battle to the hated foe. And take the battle they do. A week after the autumn equinox, silent knights wrapped in all-encompassing suits of black steel plate, servants of the bound king, joined the Griffin's pride in their assault against Bitter Strand. For knights never talk. They seem to exist merely to drive their enemies before them. For the time being, their enemies are the enemies of Dawn. Their service has been bought by sacrifice. Their master given license to feast upon the magic of Dawn by the Imperial Conclave. They avoid the servants of Sorin. For their part, the great white wolves seem to ignore the Black Knights. But it is noticeable that there are no engagements where both sets of heralds are present at the same time. The Druze are not without magical allies of their own. The servants of Arhalogen, Spider Bay, fight openly alongside the Orcs. In particular, abominable horrors with the heads of savage insects and chitinous armour accompany an army the Empire has not seen before. A fresh force of Orcs whose banners are marked with crimson brambles. A strange device, never before seen amongst the Druze, whose armies are always, at least thus far, named for the poisonous beasts that inhabit their lands. Imperial veterans with bitter experience fighting the Druze whisper amongst themselves as to where they have come from and what this means. It's difficult to get a feel for the numbers of Druze fighting in the Barrens, but League scouts estimate that there are at least as many Orc warriors as Imperial soldiers in the Barrens, without taking into account their supernatural allies or the garrison of the Spires of Dusk. Of course, Imperial progress is slowed by the magical wards, the Gulai, the uh, essentially Druze high priests, have raised over the forests. The forests to either side of the Steel Causeway twist with corrupting magic, striking against any Imperial force that dare push into Farweald, the Bleaks or the Untrod Groves. Despite their numbers and the advantages secured with their dark magic, the Druze still fight cautiously. They seem almost to be testing Imperial resolve, striking quickly, then retreating wherever possible. There are few pitched battles, but those that do take place are absolutely brutal. The Orcs seem more interested in minimising their own losses, rather than inflicting them upon the Empire's soldiers, apparently trusting to the spring magic that they have laid down to do their work for them. In the Teeth and Tempest, this caution serves to blunt the effectiveness of their attack. The Imperial forces in the Barrens are ultimately able not only to maintain control of the Steel Causeway, but to slowly push outward. The focus of their advance is Bitter Strand, the coast of the Barren Sea and the Mithril Mine that lies along its shores. The defences of Bitter Strand have been shattered thanks to a potent spring ritual enacted under the guidance of the Spring Archmage during the Summer Solstice. 
taking advantage of the conjunction of the fountain, a band of Imperial heroes used the Sentinel Gate to unleash a devastating tempest against the northeastern barons. The bitter sea has poured inland and drowned the region of Saltmarsh in churning floodwaters. As soon as it becomes apparent where the Empire strategy will take them, the Druze move to intercept. Forced to face Imperial soldiers head-on, they fight with vicious desperation, and the churning waters of the hungry bitter sea are dyed red with the blood of human and orc alike, making manifest the spring curse that hangs over the territory. The Druze are desperate, but they are forced to fall back time and time again. Yet each time they retreat, they redouble their efforts to attack again the next day. All their defences in Bitter Strand are in ruins, and despite having been the masters of the Bitter Sea for a generation or more, the recent magical tempest has reshaped the land to a degree that the Druze cannot use it to their advantage. As the winter solstice draws closer, and once more all austere heroes can gather at Anvil, the Druze are forced to cede parts of the shoreline to the Empire, falling back eastward towards the Fangs, the rocky mithril mine, that lies near the eastern shores of the Bitter Sea. Scouts report that the rocky columns that thrust out from the surface of the churning sea have experienced significant damage. Access is via a handful of makeshift bridges, made even more precarious by the fact the shores of the sea have shifted. The damage from the magical storm means it's doubtful the Druze will be able to hold the mine against a concerted Imperial attack. Assuming, of course, that the Empire can conquer enough of the rocky coast to threaten the mine. With the mine behind us and hope and freedom in front of us, the situation in the Barrens is still not straightforward. And unfortunately, the Imperial advance is blunted. The Imperial Synod has made it clear that there is more at stake in the barons than mere conquest. They have decried the idea of the barons as a prize to be taken, and instead urged virtuous citizens to focus on rallying the septs and the subject tribes who labour under the oppressive tyranny of the Druze. At first it seems this urging might not sit well with the Dornish army spearheading the campaign in the barons. The nation's ambitions there are common knowledge, and have been for centuries. Yet, to the surprise of many troubadours in Dawn, they have agreed with the Synod. Indeed, they have embraced the idea of proving to the inhabitants of the Barons that they will do all they can to free them. This commitment to try to make contact with the Orcs and handfuls of humans who chafe under the yoke of the Druze has cost the Empire. Without it, they might have come very close to conquering the entire Bitter Strand. Instead, they have been able to resist the Druze and break the Steel Causeway, or at least break out of the Steel Causeway, but have made little progress in extending the amount of land they control. Yet, they have made it clear, as clear as it can be made, that they are not just here as conquerors, not just here to replace the dominion of the Druze with a tyranny of their own. There are many orc bands in Bitter Strand forced into servitude at the Fangs. There are warriors amongst the Black Winds 
uh, if you remember, made up of the Western Baron Orcs originally, who hate Dawn, but who have no love for the monsters of the Malum. There are scattered pockets of great forest orcs left behind in the barrens when the majority of their sept fled south into Thirunin. While the Imperial armies hold against the Druge, emissaries and scouts deliver a message of hope as best they can. The Druge can be beaten, and the Empire are not the enemy. The Empire speaks. It remains to be seen if any of the Baron Orcs are listening. And for you, dear listeners, a uh, classic example of politics versus military strategy. I wonder if you were in charge, what you would do. Would you go for the mines, ensuring that another strategic resource so desperately needed by the Empire is claimed once more? Or would you abandon that to bring forth our virtues, our way, our very means of life to these poor and oppressed people? I imagine that the Iron Helms couldn't care less. But perhaps some of the more virtuous... No, I'm going to retract that. The Iron Helms themselves are virtuous. They're courageous, even if their methods are unorthodox. But perhaps the more prosperous or uh, religiously guided citizens might lean the other way. Certainly something to discuss over a pint or two. But back to blood and death. The steel causeway holds despite the Druze effort to try and overrun it. The Empire has established a foothold in Bittershore, but little more than that. The Druze still controls the Barons, and it is clear that their strategy has been cautious. Likely shaken by their losses in Zenith, they have been testing the Empire's defences. If they had come in force, if they had shown the disregard for their own lives that has characterised many conflicts over the last few years, then the situation might have been very different. Not only would the Empire have made little progress in expanding the Steel Causeway, it's actually likely that the Druze would have begun to dismantle it, had they come in force. As it is, when the Butcher's Bill is tallied, the Empire's losses are sobering indeed. 6,000 Imperial lives are ended in the Barrens, in the space of a single season. Ended by Druge arrows, by deadfalls and traps, poisoned spears and the festering rot that comes with the spring curse rivers run red. If the Empire had not favoured its own cautious advance, the losses would have been even worse. It's impossible to be certain how many Druge have died, but surely they must have paid at least as steep a price as the Empire. The Varushkans in particular speak of mounds of dead orcs put to the torch along the margins of the steel causeway, and the columns of greasy black smoke that accompany them are visible across most of the northern barrens. There are a couple of extra, <coughs> excuse me, a couple of extra sections to this wind of war. First of all, an overview. The Empire still holds Carmine Fields and Hope's Rest, and is perhaps a fifth of the way towards capturing Bitter Strand. A combination of careful strategy and the influence of the Synod have greatly reduced the Empire's ability to claim territory. Imperial armies have a one-fifth penalty for conquering territory in the Barrens, with the exception of Urizen and Varushka. Thanks to their own mandate, the Dornish armies have a three-tenths, or 
30%, and the previous number was 20% uh, penalty instead. This reduction applies only to victory points for taking territory, uh, not to casualties dealt or suffered. And perhaps this is an episode for another day, but effectively when you're taking a territory, uh, it's not just about inflicting casualties on the enemy army, but also taking control and taking ground. So some armies can actually, um, I forget what the order is, but effectively trade their own lives for holding more ground and taking it as they relentlessly assault enemy positions time and time again. Um, and also vice versa, if uh, if an army is being surrounded, I think it's called final stand, then again they can trade lives for holding onto the ground they already control and impede the enemy from taking more ground. Of course though this does a doozy on their, well, <laughs> on their army and uh, there are a lot of dead imperial citizens as a result. So yeah, that's what's happened here. Um, it's, it's not really pushed too far either way which is probably a lucky break for the uh, generals of the empire and what they were hoping for all along the residual effects of the recent magical storm uh, the big flood that we had uh, have been observed firsthand by imperial scouts and the eastern region of saltmarsh is no longer a marsh but now counts as coastal it's got so much fucking water in it at least until the start of the summer solstice so we've basically made our own little ocean there are two cruel armies in the Barons, uh, the Iron Helms on the Imperial side and the Black Wind on the Druge. Uh, they both possessed this quality, but neither has engaged in a merciless onslaught this season. Now I imagine that is uh, another particular order, again for another time when we talk about military strategy at some point, that uh, I'm going to assume has a lot more casualties involved. The second part to this wind of war is uh, some participation from any draw gear character uh, whose military unit was engaged in the barons this season may have fought alongside the wolves of Sorin. And these guys, very the wolves of Sorin, very much give me a vibe of um, Princess Mononoke wolves. And they have low, they growl, but sort of really low, distorted, scary English comes out. Yeah, those guys. Um, these potent heralds of the winter eternal have a particular fascination for those with draw gear blood and exert a peculiar influence over them. If you choose to have fought alongside them, which I would recommend if you're a draw gear mercenary captain, you experience a lingering role-playing effect. Your innate pack mentality is greatly strengthened, making you extremely protective and jealously possessive of family and friends. But with a strong tendency to view strangers and acquaintances as threats, rivals, or even enemies. You feel an urge to exert dominance over those you view as owing fealty to you, i.e. your lessers, and find it easy to demand those you protect treat you with reverence, so your superiors. So you're kind of uh, kind of bullying people below you and demanding respect from those above. But uh, it, this will end by the end of the Winster Solstice, so the end of E1 this year. Uh, but as long as you continue to engage in the role-playing, you gain an additional hero point, even if you don't have them normally. So if you're rocking around with medium armor, you get two free hero points, which is quite cool. The Rivers Run Red Curse, uh, this bastard of a spell, uh, still lies over the Barons and has significantly increased the casualties on both sides. I think it adds an extra 20% or something. Or does it double it? 
Oh, I think it does something. I think it does something horrible. It's either twenty percent or double. Um, or fuck. I mean, give it a Google. <laughs> but it's a yeah, it's a nasty, nasty spell. Um, any character whose military unit has been been engaged in the Barons, so that includes the draw gear above, and also you, you with the military unit, will have a special effect placed upon you. And this also includes the generals of each army as well. Uh, you'll find a lingering traumatic wound in your pack at the start of the event. Uh, these represent persistent injuries sustained during the campaign, worsened by the effect of the Spring Curse. They are entirely opt-in, intended to allow players to reinforce the savagery of the fighting in the Barrens. And if you don't wish to have one, you can just discard it. And of course, my emails are pinging. So uh, this looks like the point where I end the podcast. So thank all of you. Well, thank you, all of you, uh, for listening today. And I was trying to think of a good Baron's pun. I don't. I really don't actually have one. Don't go. It sounds a bit shit. Unless you've got a couple of dogs, in which case, go nuts.